0: Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. So we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We started a new series in this new year last week. In 1 Thessalonians, and I shared last week, I believe that God wants to use this book to prepare us as a church for what he has for us. We're getting ready as a church to sort of go into a a new stage of our history. And uh, I believe that God wants to prepare us to be a strong church, a church that can truly be a light in this community and beyond. And When you study the book of 1 Thessalonians, you realize that this is a book written by Paul, one of the founders of this church in Thessalonica, to this group of believers, this local church in Thessalonica, and that he was so thankful for them, and he was so encouraged by what he heard about what was going on there, that they became a model church. A model for other churches to look at and say, you know, this is the kind of church that all churches should aspire to. So we talked about what that looked like last week in the first five verses. Today, I want to continue on with sort of that same theme, but, but look at it from a little bit different nuance. And that is that this church not only was a model church, it was a church of influence. It was a church that made an impact. It was a church that made a difference, not just within itself, but obviously all the lives that it touched, all the lives that those members touched, the testimony of that church, the witness of that church was greatly influential. And if you and I are going to be a church of influence, not just a church that exists, If we're going to be a church of influence, then there are several things written here in 1 Thessalonians that we're going to look at both this week and next week that sort of remind us what are the characteristics of a church of influence. You'll notice where I'm getting this influence from if you you go down to verse 7 of chapter 1, where Paul says, As a result... Speaking of the cause and effect relationship. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth. Not just in Macedonia and Achaia. But in every place reports of your faith in God have spread. So that we don't even need to say anything about you. You have become that influential. Influential that inspiring to other churches and other believers. When you talk about being a church of influence today, many people think that, well, a church of influence is a big church. It's one that has a lot of people. You know, biggest attendance. Can I tell you that in all the New Testament... You will never find that as a requirement for influence from God's perspective. In fact, in all the letters to local churches and in even Jesus' message to the seven churches in Revelation, you never see anything, you never hear anything about how big or small a church is. Because to God, that's irrelevant to an influence. Okay? That, That doesn't matter. God turned the world upside down with 120 committed people. So God doesn't need a great crowd. And it's not just if, if there's a small group of people. That doesn't necessarily mean they're influential either. It has nothing to do with numbers. The second thing that many churches and, 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 and many people maybe think today is that not only does it have nothing to do with numbers or attendance? It also has nothing to do with revenue or, or the amount of money or resources a church has. Again, you never will find that in the Bible anywhere where it says, you know, if, if you want to be a church influence, you have to have such and such amount of income coming in and, and you've got to have some. Has nothing to say about that at all. Now, where most people land today, though, And I personally think it's unfortunate. It's a sign of our times where the philosophy of the world has crept into the church. Most Christians today don't choose a church or not choose a church to be part of because how big or small it is. Or what the income or how much in debt it is. Most of them don't even know or care. But what they do usually choose a church for is... The programs that it offers if a church has such and such programs and that appeals to them there's some affinity there that's going to be a church that they choose to be a part of well, we talked last week about the fact that really you and i should not be choosing the church that we're a part of we should let god choose it for us that's one thing and two again You can't find that in the New Testament either. There is nowhere where it says to leaders in the church. Now, if you want to be a church of influence or if you want to be a good pastor or you want to be a good spiritual leader in your local church, then you make sure you have plenty of programs for everybody when they come in. Because that's how we're going to reach the world for Christ. And that's how we're going to grow Christians. And that's how we're going to disciple people is through programs. You never find that. Because can I tell you, the reason why you don't find that is primarily it's not biblical. The focus of the church and of the leadership of the church shouldn't be on creating programs. It should be on building the people of the church. And then you all, we all, become the program, if you will. See, part of the problem with churches that focus on programming is that then the church sort of has to be burdened with accommodating every last person that walks through their doors. Well, I want to have a program for this. Okay, we'll create one for that. Somebody else, well, I think this is a good program. Oh, okay, well then we'll create one for that. And pretty soon you've got churches that have 50 zillion programs because every person has a good idea for a program and that's where they land. That's also not fair to people either, because for every person that walks through the door of the church, then you may even have to fit a pre-programmed mold that the church has created in order to serve and minister, like many churches do. You, you know it, you've been in churches before where if you want to serve and minister, they have certain programs already established, and if you want to serve or minister, you got to fit into one of those. Well, that's not fair either, because that's not how God created it. See, I, I think if you study the New Testament and you read the instructions to the church leaders and to the churches, it's about building up the people to be the programs. That way, whenever you... You know, emerge, then God lays it on your heart to do something for Him, then you just do it. You don't need the church to create something for you, and if you need help doing it, then you got plenty of brothers and sisters around you can tap and say, Hey, God, I think, is leading me to do it. Could you help me with this for a while? Sure. And that's why at the Oasis, one of the differences you will find in this church compared to a lot of churches today is you won't find an emphasis on programs here. It's Not that we don't have any. And not that they're wrong, necessarily, but that should not be where our focus is at. Because, again, a church of influence, according to the Bible, has nothing to do with attendance or numbers. It has nothing to do with revenue or whatever. It has nothing to do with programs. If you and I are to be a church of influence, then Paul tells us, based upon the church that Thessalonica was, what it means to be a church of influence. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. So let's look at it. Beginning in verse 6. He says to the Thessalonians, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Notice this is the second time he's used the word became. We saw this in verse seven, where he says, As a result, you became an example to all the believers. I want to talk about that word became. All of us are in the process of becoming, we're not static in our lives. Physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We're all becoming something. And this word become or became that Paul uses here speaks about emerging through growth. So in other words, Paul's saying, one of the reasons why you have become a church of influence is because you are filled with people who are focused on growing on becoming something, who are not satisfied with where they are, who are not being complacent in their spiritual life, but who are engaged in growing and becoming who God created us all to be. That's the kind of environment we want to continue to try to develop and create here at the Oasis. We want to be a church where people can come and go you know what i got more growing to do i'm not all that god created me to be and i haven't experienced all of god that i could yet and there's still more of the word to learn and more of god to understand and more of what it means to be part of the body of christ and so i want to come to a church where i'm going to be challenged and where i can grow Because a church that's filled with people who are growing is going to be a church of influence. You and I, again, are either going forward spiritually or we're going backwards spiritually. But none of us ever stay the same. We're never static or stationary in our spiritual life. We're either becoming more like Jesus Christ or we're becoming less like Jesus Christ every day. And too many of us as Christians, especially this time of year, we can set so many goals and resolutions, if you will, when a new year comes around on the calendar for so many things. You know, things we want to change physically and things we want to change uh, in, our, in our environment, in our, in our workplace, or in school, or a, a new something this time I want to take on or whatever. But... But too few of us as Christians really sit down and really engage in coming up with some spiritual goals and things that we intentionally want to do this year or this month or this week in order to grow. And folks, if you and I don't do that, then we won't grow because it's got to be intentional. If we don't set any goals, we're never going to reach any goals. And too few Christians really have goals for growth in their life. I think every Christian should have a personal growth plan that you think through and go and say, what is it going to take this year for me to continue to grow? What am I going to have to be engaged in? What am I going to have to take on? How can I learn more of the word of God this year? How can I grow deeper in prayer? How can I become a more effective and, and continuous worshiper of Jesus Christ this year? What are the things that I have to do in order to become what I could become? Growth. A church of influence is a church where the people are spiritually growing where spiritual growth and maturity is a priority to those folks. It was in Thessalonica, and I hope it will always be true here at the Oasis, that we will be a church that attracts and is filled by people who want to grow. I still want to grow. I don't ever want to stop growing. Yes, I've known the Lord for 45 years and been in the ministry for 30 plus years and studied the word of god for hours a day for 30 plus years and yet i still feel like there's so much more that i need to learn and want to learn from just this book i want to keep growing and every day that i get into my study can i tell you god shows me things that i never saw before and never knew before you only get a thimbleful. I wish I could share it all with you, but we'd be here a real long time. So growth. Then you'll notice in verse 6 something else that makes a church of influence. He says, and you became, you emerged through growth to be imitators. It's the Greek word "mimetes," where we get our English word mimic, which literally means to emulate or to Follow. He says, one of the reasons why you're a church of influence is because you are a church that's filled with followers. See, today, we live in a world that's all about being a leader. But again, from God's perspective and from God's viewpoint and from the Bible, leaders are truly followers. If you and I can't learn to follow, then in God's program, in God's kingdom, we will never lead. Because God isn't looking for leaders. God is looking for followers. If you and I can't follow God's appointed authorities in our life, we will never follow God. That's why Jesus said to the very first people that he met, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's why Paul later on in his life said to the church at Corinth follow me as I follow Christ. We need to, if we're going to be and continue to be a church of influence, we've got to be a church that doesn't aspire to be leaders, but aspire to be followers of the Lord and of other God-approved examples. That's what Paul is saying made this church such a church of influence. They became imitators. They were good at emulating and following, you see. And this is really the source of, of sin and even the source of the fall of Satan himself. Satan no longer wanted to follow God. He wanted to call his own shots and, and, and be self-governing. And he said, bye to God. And ever since his fall, he has continued to try to entice and induce others to do the same thing don't follow God follow whatever you want be your be your own God be your own Lord how's that working for you Satan and even the sin nature that we're born with it doesn't naturally want to follow that's why I think it's important we remember that in that three-letter word sin is really the key to it all, which is the middle letter, I. Because that's really what gets in the way. We don't want to allow the Lord to be the Lord. We don't want God to call the shots in our life. We want to. We want to be God. We want to be Lord. And so we... Many times, and I think this is why, again, the Bible uses sheep as a metaphor for even the followers of Jesus Christ, is we like sheep, many times go our own way or go astray because we don't want to follow but according to the word of God, and according to Paul here, one of the reasons why the church at Thessalonica was a church that became an example and, and, and whose influence went around the known world was because not only were they a church filled with people who were committed to spiritual growth, they were a church that was willing to follow. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Third, verse six. When you received the message with joy, a third characteristic of this church. And by the way, you notice already that Paul here is teaching us that a church of influence, a local church that has influence, again, has nothing to do with attendance, nothing to do with revenue, nothing to do with programs, but everything to do with the spiritual character of the people within the church. That's what makes a church of influence. What is the spiritual character? What is the spiritual temperature of the people within the church? Are they growing? Are they following? And third, are they receiving the message or the word of God? What's it mean to receive the word of God? It's a word that describes having a very high level of interest. That's where it starts. Before you and I, in a sense, will receive the word of God in a physical way and sit under the word of God, it sort of starts with an attitude of having an interest in the message of God or the word of God. I'm not going to put myself in an environment where I hear and learn and grow in the Word of God if I have very little interest in the Word of God. So what Paul is commending them for here and why they have become a church of of influence is because, again, they are filled with people who have a very high level of interest in hearing and in applying the Word of God to their life. And it brings them great joy. It's not a drudgery. It's not a duty for them. They can't wait to come and hear the Word of God. They can't wait in the morning to open up the Bible and get in and let God speak to them. They have a hunger and thirst for God's Word. Hopefully we will always have that here. Because that's one of the things that is characteristic of a church of influence. And I know it'll never be in our world, but... Obviously, as a teacher of the Word, I dream about... Christians even having such a high level of interest in hearing the Word of God that churches like ours would be packed out. Not because... I want a lot of people, but because it would warm my heart to think that there's that many people that really have a desire to hear the Word of God taught. That's where I would be encouraged. I mean, we can fill stadiums for sporting events, and and even as Christians, we can fill stadiums for concerts and venues with thousands and thousands of people, but... When was the last time you ever heard of Christians just filling a stadium just to hear the Bible taught? Or when you hear of churches that teach the Word of God, do you hear of them just being filled because people can't wait to get there to hear what God has to say through His Word? That was true in Thessalonica. These folks couldn't wait to hear what God had to say. That made them a church of influence. And then notice Paul goes on to say, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Another characteristic of a church of influence is is one that is Spirit-driven. Where the people are Spirit-filled. Where the Spirit is leading them. Where they are not quenching or grieving the Spirit of God. Because he says... The reason you are able to receive the message with such joy, and then he's going to go on here in a minute. We're going to talk about that despite the the affliction you're going through is because the Holy Spirit is at work in this church. And we talked about this last week about how God wants to show up in such a powerful way in his church that the supernatural takes place. And primarily what that means is that's not about something showy or anything else. It's about God changing our character to be like Christ's character. If you really want to see the Spirit at work, then God primarily is going to work through His Spirit to change our character. Which is why He even uses the word joy there. Doesn't that... Hearken back to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two and 23. You and I will know that the Spirit is in charge of our life, that we are being filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, when these nine things are evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and long-suffering. That's how we know the Spirit is working. That's the supernatural work of the Spirit whenever the Holy Spirit of God is producing that kind of fruit in our lives. And we're being led and driven by the Spirit of God. That was true in that church. And when the Spirit of God is allowed to take over, the primary way you see it is when you and I have our character changing. When we're allowing the Holy Spirit to make us more loving every day, more joyful every day, more at peace every day, more patient every day, more good every day, more kind every day, more faithful, more long-suffering, more gentle... That's when we know the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of us. And that was true with the Thessalonians. The character that they were exhibiting in the church and outside the church and in their everyday you know, uh, movements amongst their fellow human beings was evident that the Spirit of God was being allowed to work and operate in their life. You and I can't produce this kind of joy or peace on our own. It's only in vital union, as we learned last week, between us and the Holy Spirit. It only, notice, comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. And then he goes on to say, we know that this was obviously of God And was not of you because you received this message when we came to you with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit despite great affliction. Another characteristic of a church of influence is one of commitment. And why do I use the word commitment here? Because the word affliction is a word that speaks about pressures being pressed against us. Think of it this way as I've used this before uh, of literally grapes that are pressed down and made into wine. That's the Way this word was used in that day and age. It it was about, you know, all the pressures that are coming against us. And there were many pressures coming against this church at Thessalonica, wanting them to compromise, wanting them to give up, wanting them to to stop continuing to grow and mature and and receive the Word of God. It would have been so easy for them to stay home and not go through the persecution. It would have been so easy for them to quit and take the easy road out. But because of their commitment, they were willing to receive the Word of God and place themselves in an environment where they heard the Word of God regularly and where they grew in spite of all the pressure. Because, folks, when you and I commit to follow Jesus Christ and we commit to spiritual growth and maturity, there will be constant pressures. And if you and I aren't tenacious, if you and I aren't truly committed, then we won't stick with it. There will be no spiritual stick in our life. It will be, well, you know, I got this, I, I'm, I'm going to forego that. See, you and I have to be so committed to the cause of Christ and to our spiritual priorities that very, very, very few things cause us to deviate from the path that we're on. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 9. He reminds us of this principle. He told the Corinthians, he said, There are many opportunities open to me, but there are also many opponents. Many adversaries. 1 Corinthians 16 9. So notice the many opportunities, but many or much opposition at the same time. So if you and I aren't committed, guess what? We're going to be opposed. There's going to be obstacles in our way to our spiritual growth and maturity. There's going to be all kinds of things thrown up to stop us from. Learning more of the word of God and receiving more of the word of God and continuing to grow. So even if we back to several points ago, even if we set a goal of I'm going to do such and such this year to grow, unless we're really committed to it, it will not take long for all of these pressures and obstacles and, and hurdles to be thrown at us that we just back off and say, uh not I'm not going to continue to try to press cuz somehow maybe we've even gotten this erroneous thought in our mind that if this was of the will of god then it would just it would go easier for me I wouldn't have such opposition or obstacles or pressures exerted against me. If I'm doing the will of God, isn't God going to make this an easy road for me? Well, it's not God that's not making the road easy. It's the world, it's the flesh, and it's the devil that make the road hard. And unless you and I are committed to what we have set out to do, then the world and the flesh and the devil will continue to distract us and discourage us from following through with even the commitments that we've made. That's why if we're going to be a church of influence, we've got to be a church that's filled with committed people who understand that as we press forward as a church and as we press forward as individuals to become all that God created us to be, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be obstacles, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be pressures. There's going to be all these things that try to are designed to get us to quit. And one of the things that you and I need to remind ourselves of is, what does it take to make me quit? Because God wants us to get to a place where He builds such spiritual commitment and such spiritual steadfastness and tenacity in our life and constancy that it doesn't matter what is thrown against us, we will stick to it. No matter what pressures come against us. We'll be faithful. We're going to follow through no matter what. That's why many times when you as a Christian decide, I'm going to spend more time in the Word, don't you all of a sudden just start getting all kinds of things at you to try to, I don't have time for this now. Or you commit to being part of a Bible study, and all of a sudden this happens and that happens, and you just... Can't get there. And, and listen, this happens to Christians all the time. Well, you know, this other thing came up on Sunday. I think I'll pass on going to church this Sunday. And not that there's anything wrong with missing a Sunday every once in a while. The problem is a lot of times you miss one, then it's easier to miss the second one and to miss the third week in a row and to miss the fourth week in a row. And pretty soon then there's not that faithfulness. It's a very hit and miss inconsistent. Because listen, you and I can say, "Ah, oh, I'm going to I'm going to be at church more, and I'm going to you know I'm going to get involved with growth, and I'm going to be at this." But make no mistake about it: the pressures are going to come, the obstacles are going to be there. Many opportunities, but much opposition. And you and I, if we're not truly committed to it, then we won't follow through. A church of influence will be filled with people who are filled with commitment and follow through. And then I'll also notice verse 7. As a result, Paul said. Which again is a phrase that speaks about the cause and effect relationship of something. And Paul's reminding us of something there. He says you realize in our lives both as a church corporately and individually there's always a cause and effect of everything that we choose and decide to do. Always cause and effect. Whatever, whatever this is, it's gonna, there's going to be this ramification or consequence or result. There's always a cause and effect. Always. Always. And so Paul is saying, as a result of you growing, of you imitating or following... As a result of you receiving the word. As a result of you allowing the Holy Spirit to fill your life. And of you being committed. As a result of that. You have become as a church. An example to other churches. And to other believers. Verse 7. So the final characteristic we're going to look at today. And we'll save verses 8, 9 and 10 for next week. So I hope you'll come back. It's Part 2 is this word example. It's a very interesting word. It speaks about a proper model or pattern that is forged by repetition. See, a a church of influence is not only a church that's filled with committed believers, but it's a church that's filled with consistent believers. Because you and I really don't become an example, hit or miss. It's the impression that you and I forge in other people's lives over time. Boom, 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 boom. It's not the one and done flash that you think and hear and see even within the church today. That's not really going to make a deep impression. But when you and I live consistently every day this way over time that consistent repetition begins to make a difference in other people's lives. Think of it as a well-worn path. And I know we use this term most and mostly in a negative light, but I want you to think about it today in a positive light, a rut. Because there are good ruts, too. There's not just bad ruts. There are good ruts. Yeah, If you and I are out somewhere and we're looking for a path, isn't it much better to come across a well-worn path that others have... Because it's like, okay, that's where I go. Where if we're out and there's real no clear distinction or direction because it all looks the same to us, it's hard to know where to tread. Well, how you and I become an example, a pattern, a model for others to follow is when over time they see the consistency in our life. And it's that consistency, that cumulative effect that you and I will truly then make a difference and have an impression in their lives and be a a real influence, you see. But that also means that there's time involved with that, you see. It's it's observing our lives and us observing others over the long haul. Now I know I'm going to use, and I've used this before, and I, I apologize for using such a dated illustration. But it will just remind you all how old your pastor is. Yes, I went to school when the dinosaurs were still on the earth. But but in my mind, and if this goes back to my childhood. I know some of you are going to go, Boy, you were a strange little child. But when I was a child, one of the things that I enjoyed doing was sitting down at a typewriter and just plunking on the keys. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I know. But especially based on how old the ribbon was, when that key would strike the the ribbon and, and put a letter on that white paper, you know, I soon even as a child realized, well, you know what? That's a little faint. But if I hit that key again, it makes it just a little bit darker. And then if I keep hitting that key, boy, it can make it really dark. But that's really the concept that Paul's talking about here. That's what it means to be an example. That repetition, hitting that same spot over and over and over again makes a much bolder or deeper impression of something. And the only way you and I can do that is by being consistent over time. Not by living the roller coaster Christian life that's very hot and very cold like many Christians do today. It's about developing stability and consistency and faithfulness in our lives where it's pretty much people see we're the same over and over and over and over again. And that's when the influence and impression then of our lives begins to just sort of hit them. That's why Jesus, even the Lord of glory, when he called people to be his disciples, he called them unto himself to basically walk with him for three years while he was here on earth. Because they weren't going to learn to be followers of Jesus Christ in a day or a week. It wasn't a quick fix like people are looking for today. Even after three years, they still had a long way to go But Jesus had to spend a lot of time with them because his life had to hit them over and over and over again every day until they finally got it. That's why Jesus could have prayed hundreds of times, but finally it was like, you know what? All that guy does is pray. Maybe we ought to ask him about prayer and and how to teach us to pray because it was just through watching Jesus. And observing his very consistent lifestyle, that's what started to make an impact on those men. And Jesus now is turning that around and saying, now I want you to be that for others. I want you to live in such a consistent way that you can be an influence. That you can make a difference. That you can make a deep impression on those that you come in contact with in your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come while they're coming. Just please hang in there with me for just 30 more seconds. Many of you, even after last week, were saying, Jeff, you you talked about God having a purpose for my life, even within the church, and I don't really know what that is and all of that. Here's my encouragement to you. Just continue or start to do the things that Paul has laid out here in 1 Thessalonians and you'll find your purpose. Start living in closer connection to God and to God's people, and the purpose of God for your life within His body will start to become clear to you. Focus on growth and on following and on receiving the Word of God, on letting the Holy Spirit take the lead in your life. On being committed and being consistent. And I guarantee you, when you do that, you will begin to find your purpose. Maybe some of you here today, you know your purpose and you're living your purpose. But you're just needing strength for your purpose right now. To just hang in there because the pressures are there. The pressures in your life are there to cause you to just drop out or quit. And they're always going to be there. In fact, they're going to be even more intense when you and I make a commitment to go deeper and further with Jesus Christ. Many open doors, Paul says, but much opposition. You and I need to be committed enough that in spite of the pressure, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the obstacles, You and I stay the course. When we do that as God's children, we become a church of influence. Maybe some of you today just want to come here in the front of this auditorium and just recommit yourself to God's purpose for your life. Or maybe you want to come here and say, God, reveal your purpose to me in my life. But God, you have spoken to me today. And I want to come and nail something down in my life. You come. Let's stand as we sing this song that speaks about waiting on the Lord. Will you wait on the Lord with me this morning?